0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. We're actually going to be looking at the entire chapter. Thankfully, I'm not going to be reading it all, but um, the entire chapter, and there's a, a reason for that. But when you're turning in your Bibles, whether you have it on your U you know, Version app or whether you go old school and actually have a printed Bible, just try to look at the entire chapter. And as you're turning there, I want to share with you two quick other points of information. The first is that I had mentioned several weeks ago in a worship service that we're bringing back the idea of a progressive dinner, okay? And so I have more information on that and that's gonna be May 18th, that's a Saturday night. And um, you need to be able to register to attend and then you'll be contacted for more details. All adults are welcome to participate, singles, couples. Um, How it works is this. We're gonna have a three course meal, an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert where each course is eaten at a different location. Participants will transport themselves between locations. You'll be assigned a location for appetizers to bring and share and then move to a different host home where you'll enjoy a main course together. And then lastly, we'll all finish back up at the church to enjoy dessert together. Child care is going to be provided at the church, ages um, infants to age uh, grade four and the deadline to register for the progressive dinner is april 21st you're all going to remember all that information right okay we got to register okay that's the most important thing the second thing i want to share has to do with next week so out in the lobby area on several places and the welcome center is a um, little easter card and here's what i'm asking you to do i want you to leave the service uh, not when jungmo told you to leave for communion i looked up and went wow quickest service ever Right? We're all leaving. Um, but after I dismiss, head over to the Welcome Center or there are several other places in the library where you can pick up a couple Easter cards. Listen, you know five people that you can invite to Easter services. It's going to be a great weekend. Just pick up five cards and hand them out to friends, family, whoever, and just say, hey, would you come to uh, Easter service with me or at least let them know the times. Each service is going to be great. We're actually baptizing 11 or 12 people between the three services, and my 83-year-old mother is going to be baptized. So my mom calls me up, and she says, So Mark, I've been reading over and over and over that they were saved and believed, and they were baptized. And I think I was baptized as an infant. But I never really had any say in the matter. And I just feel like the Lord is saying to me, you should be baptized. And I'm like, wow, you're 83. And she's like, yeah. So guess what? I'm baptizing my mom. And so it's going to be great. So, you know, you don't need to come just for that. But you could if you wanted to. I'm just saying. Anyway. Everybody has a best week ever. Everybody. When I was a kid, my best week ever was the week after school let out for the summer. I would ride my bike to the school just so I could look at it that I didn't have to go. My best week ever now is a week in August where we rented a, we, we rent a house up at Knoebels Amusement Resort and both of our daughters and their husbands and their families come and we hang out the entire week and eat funnel cake every day. Best week ever. It's only 111 days until August 3rd. But Who's counting? What's your best week ever? It could be, for some of you, bonus week at work. Or it could be spring break. Or it could be Thanksgiving or Christmas when everybody comes together. What's your best week? Did you know that God has a best week ever? And it starts today. It's called Holy Week. And what makes God's best week ever best is that this is the week that culminates in God's salvation plan where everything comes together, beginning with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem as the true king of the Jews, a different kind of kingdom, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, and then the drama of the same people that said, oh, we celebrate you as king of the Jews, and then a couple days later, crucify him, crucify him. The fickleness of humanity. His great passion, the scourging, the humiliation. Every picture you ever see of Jesus painted being on the cross, they always have a loincloth around him, but the truth of the matter is Jesus was crucified naked the humiliation of it all. And the Romans were experts at death. They had a PhD in death. And they devised the most painful way to die. And at the very moment where Jesus needed all of his friends, they walked away. And even God turned his back on Jesus because he could not look on the sins that Jesus took upon himself because God is holy. There is a sociology professor well-known at Eastern University named Tony Campolo, and he wrote a book that said, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And so here we will be next week celebrating not just the death of Jesus Christ, but his resurrection. And this week is where words that we throw around the church a lot, like grace and mercy and salvation and forgiveness, all of these words get their meaning from this week. That's why it's God's best week ever. And it's your best week ever, too. Because if you've opened up your life to Jesus... Jesus has changed the trajectory of your life and changed your eternal destination. And that's what makes today and even Holy Thursday service and especially next week so tremendous as a celebration. So I invite you this week, beginning today, to enter into the celebration now have you ever asked yourself the question why do all four gospels matthew mark luke and john why do all four share the same story of jesus triumphal entry into jerusalem no doubt it is for several reasons Probably the greatest reason is because each of the four gospel writers was intent on making sure that we understand that Jesus entering into Jerusalem is the fulfillment of the prophecy from Daniel chapter 6, verse 6, and Zechariah chapter 9. Where the true Messiah, the king of the Jews, would enter into Jerusalem not on a white horse symbolizing power and victory, but on a donkey symbolizing his kingdom would be of peace. Because all who rode the donkey were communicating that their kingdom would be one of peace. But you know, there's another reason why all four gospel writers tell the story of Jesus' triumphal entry, and it has to do with you. We are meant to ask ourselves who are we in the story? There's thousands of people that are lining this pathway from the Mount of Olives down into the Kidron Valley and up into Jerusalem. And these thousands of people, you have all kinds of people that are part of the crowd. The saints, people who are all in with Jesus, the stumblers, people who think they know Jesus but don't act like it, people who shout heaven on Sunday and live like hell. Monday through Saturday. The seekers, people who haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, but they're open, they're curious, and then there's the skeptics. These are the Pharisees. These are the jaded people, the cynical people. And we are meant to ask ourselves. The reason why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John put it in their Gospels is very personal. We're meant to ask, who are you? in relation to who is Jesus. And the reason why I want to look at Luke chapter 19 this morning, not just the triumphal story, but all of it, is because Luke 19 is very special. Did you know that when Luke wrote his gospel, he had three major themes in mind? The first is to answer the question, who is Jesus? The second is to answer the question, what kind of kingdom is he lord and king over? And the third is, How are we supposed to operate in his kingdom? Because Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. He defies all of our expectations. God, in some ways, is the king of disillusionment. Whatever we may think God owes us, God flips it and says, Oh, no, I don't owe you that at all. I owe you something a hundred times better. You just have to be open to it. I've been thinking, what does it really mean to be a believer? We throw around that word a lot, right? So what what does it really mean to be a believer in Jesus? I want to answer that question this morning from Luke 19. So pull out your handouts, and the entire message is, is going to be an acrostic of faith. F-A-I-T-H. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each particular one, but each one of these these letters, F-A-I-T-H, you can just write it, the acrostic. Each one of them is really representative of what it means to be a believer, and all of them are found in Luke 19. So let's begin. F. What does it really mean to be a believer? Now, when you write out the acrostic F-A-I-T-H write zero to five beside each one because you're going to rate yourself this morning. Zero means not so good. Five means no, I'm doing pretty good. Okay? So, here's the five things of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ and what it means to be part of His kingdom which is a major theme of Luke and what it means to be a growing Christian. So, how many of you have been a Christian more than a decade? Can I see your hands? Question. How do you know you're growing? How do you know? What's the standard that you use? Those of you who have prayed a prayer and asked Jesus into your life, okay, how do you know you're saved? How do you know? Luke answers this question. F. F. Follow Jesus' commands and instructions. Luke nineteen twenty nine is the beginning of the story of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. It says, as he came to the town of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he said to them, and as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here to me. If anybody asks you, what are you untying that colt for? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. Have you discovered that in your Christian life, sometimes Jesus asks you to do things that are odd, weird? I mean, if I'm the disciples, right, and Jesus says, I want you to go into this town, and I just want you to walk up to this colt, this donkey that's never been ridden, and I want you to untie it and take it, I'm thinking, that's pretty much like stealing Jesus. Right? I mean, you're going to have to bail me out. And Jesus anticipates their response and says, no, no, don't worry about it. Just say, I need it. Oh, that's helpful. Right? You go into the grocery store, you take $50 worth of items. The Lord needs it. Every year the Gallup organization takes a poll about Jesus. Did you know that? The most recent poll says that 85% of all Americans believe in Jesus as the Son of God. At first blush, I go, wow, that's pretty great. But then I hear Jesus' words. Not everybody who calls me their Lord will get into the kingdom of heaven. Only the ones who obey my Father in heaven will get in. Here it is. How do you know you're a growing Christian? How do you know you're actually saved? How do you know that you're actually walking with Jesus? You ever have any doubts, even after you've said a prayer? Am I really a Christian? Did it take? One of the marks of a true believer, a genuine believer, is to walk in obedience in the light that the Holy Spirit has given you. Here's the problem. I guarantee you that there's many people in this room who are living in some sort of disobedience in their life. They're like, well, you know, I prayed a prayer, and I asked Jesus into my life, but, you know, I know that there are some things in my life that aren't right, and one day I'll address them, and one one day I'll deal with them. The problem is, is that one day never seems to come. Delayed disobedience is still disobedience any way you wrap it. Here's the deal. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And the greatest indicator of whether you are a growing Christian or you're even a believer is you have a sincere desire in your heart that you want to follow Jesus. And you want to do what Jesus asks you to do. And when you read in the Bible that, okay, certain things are supposed to happen, I'm not supposed to have this in my life, and I'm supposed to get rid of that, and I'm supposed to add that in my life, you actually make sincere attempts at obeying. Some of you are no longer growing in Christ, and the reason you're not is because you're not obeying what you already know you're supposed to be doing. Some of you have no joy anymore in your Christian life, and you wonder why. Why don't I have any joy anymore? Could it be that you have unconfessed sin in your life? Many of us are walking around, we have Jesus in our life, but we have these blots all over the screen of our life saying, well, I I mean, I know... I'm not being obedient in this area of my life. and Well, I I know I'm holding bitterness toward that person in that area of my life. One day I'll deal with it. No, that day is today. You and I should regularly be praying this prayer from Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Zero to five. Are you living in obedience and following the Lord? Zero to five. Only you can figure this out. All right? If somebody's sitting real close to you, just do cryptic. Like, do backwards three. You know what I'm saying? They're just think I don't know. It's an E. No, it's a Three. Okay? A, accept his grace. What is grace? Grace is when God does something beautiful in you and for you that you do not deserve. The first story out of the gate in Luke chapter 19 is the story of Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector who climbed a tree. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. The Lord he wanted to see. Some of you are like, "What?" This is exactly what Je- this is exactly what Zacharias got from Jesus. Grace. Zacharias or Zacchaeus was a seeker. Jesus was in a crowd in Jericho and he's walking down the street and Zacchaeus, because he's a small man, decided he'd climb up in this tree and he's watching Jesus. He's curious. Do you know why he's curious? Because for all of his wealth, he was empty. He didn't have any friends. He was a tax collector. He was hated. He got what he wanted. He lived in the best house in town He had power over people. He had a lot of influence. When he walked into a restaurant, he always got the best table because people were afraid of him. And for years, he probably reveled in that. I'm an important man. But after a while, it wears thin, and you just realize, I'm an empty man. Jesus stops at the tree, looks up at Zacchaeus, and says, I'm coming over to your house today. Come on, let's go have lunch. And you're paying for it. So, Zacchaeus jumps down from the tree. He takes Jesus to his house. And somewhere in the midst of that conversation, Zacchaeus becomes a believer. His heart changes. And for the first time in his life, he is a recipient of God's grace. And he's like, wow, this guy accepts me for who I am. And as a consequence, Zacchaeus has changed and he pledges that he will give if he's if he if he has cheated anybody he'll give them four times the amount back of what he's cheated them for everybody needs god's grace everybody needs forgiveness everybody needs a second chance a fresh start a do over Strength to endure suffering of unjust circumstances. Everybody needs an answer to prayer. Everybody needs something that they can't get by themselves that only God can give them. It's called grace. You cannot earn God's grace by being good enough, by being righteous enough, by being obedient enough. Grace is a free gift that we must humbly accept. A true and genuine growing believer lives by grace. I think some of you are exhausted because you're trying to please God and it's this little mouse on the wheel that just keeps running, running, running and you get more tired and more tired. You're not supposed to be striving in that way. You're supposed to be at rest. I love Romans 5, 17. Those who accept God's full grace and the great gift of being made right with Him will surely have true life and rule Jesus Christ. So are you living by grace or are you striving to earn God's approval? Zero to five. Write it down, zero to five. Are you truly living by grace? Do you have an inward sense that God approves of you though you're imperfect and that God accepts you for who you are? I invest my life for Jesus. The second story in Luke 19, remember, Luke Luke 19 is a summary of Luke 1 through 18. That's why it's such a special chapter. Luke is answering all of the questions in one chapter that he's been teasing us out the previous 18 chapters. Who is Jesus? What kind of a kingdom is Jesus going to rule over? And what does it look like to live in his kingdom? What does it look like to live in his kingdom? To invest. To invest. The second story that Jesus tells is the parable of the ten servants. Listen to this. A nobleman goes away to be kinged in another kingdom, and he's going to come back after a long period of time. And so he calls together ten of his servants and gives each one of them a pound of silver. He's in a distant land becoming a king for a great period of time. He comes back. And all of the ten servants line up, and the expectation is is that they would have done something with what they were given. And so the first servant steps up, and he's got a wheelbarrow with him. And the wheelbarrow doesn't have one pound of silver. It has ten pounds of silver. And he's like, while you were away, I invested wisely, and the return on the investment is ten pounds. And the nobleman, who is now the king, looks at him and says, well done, good and faithful servant. I will make you ruler over ten cities. The second servant steps up, and he's got a little wheelbarrow. But he, he's made, he, have, he has five pounds of silver now. And the ruler says the same exact thing to him and says, man, I'm really proud of you. I'm going to make you ruler over five cities. The third guy stands up. Now remember, there's there's eight other people, right? That are there, There's seven other people that are waiting in line. So the third guy steps up and he goes, here's your pound. I knew that you were a harsh man. I knew that you expected a return on investment of um, very little. I knew that you were really difficult to work with. By the way, this parable is not a parable of comparison to god it's a parable of contrast to god if this wicked king expects such a high investment how much more will your heavenly father desire that you give back and invest your life that's the point of the parable and of course the ruler gets ticked off at the third servant that just has no return on investment whatsoever now here's the point of the parable everybody in this room, can either waste their life, spend their life, or invest their life. There are hundreds of ways in which you can waste your life. And some of you know people who you're heartbroken over because they're wasting their life. And they have so much capacity, and yet they're not living up to their potential. And then there's people who are spending their life, and what it means to spend your life is to really pursue material possessions and pursue whatever the American dream is and you know what, whatever your idea of a successful good life is, you're pursuing that life. And I'm not saying that that's all bad. What I'm saying is the focus is in the wrong place because one day we're going to put you in a box and you're going to die. Welcome to Palm Sunday. And we're going to eat macaroni and we're going to eat potato salad at your funeral, and you'll do the same for me. And all the toys go back in the box, only this time it's somebody else's box. Or you can invest your life. A couple of weeks ago, I told a sermon illustration, I'm going to tell it again. Again guy's walking down the street of a major city, and he sees a construction zone. He walks up to one bricklayer and says, hey, what are you doing? The guy says, I'm laying bricks. He walks about 50 yards further. He sees another bricklayer and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a wall. Walks another 50 yards, and he says to the next bricklayer, hey, what are you doing? guy says, I'm building a cathedral. Same project, different perspective. The first two bricklayers are wasting and spending their life. The third bricklayer is investing their life. God has given you gifts, talents, and abilities. The great question is, what are you going to do with your gifts, talents, and abilities? You can you can waste them, you can spend them on yourself, or you can invest them into the kingdom. Whatever you are good at, whatever God has gifted you with, whatever resources God has given you, you get the joy of investing into other people. Those of you who have children in your home, you are not just, ladies, a homemaker or man, a homemaker. You are investing into the next generation. It just depends on your perspective. Growing believers, people who are really walking with Jesus, see life as an opportunity to invest. T, trust him completely. Trust him completely. A good friend of actress and comedian Gracie Allen once sent her a small live alligator as a gag gift. Not knowing what to do with the alligator, Gracie put it into her bathtub and left for an appointment. When she returned she found a note left by her cleaning lady. This is the note. Dear Miss Allen, sorry but I had to quit. I don't work in houses where there's alligators. I would have told you this when I first started, but I never thought it would come up. (laughs) Unexpected alligators. Some of you never thought that you would have to battle a chronic illness that would change your life. Some of you never dreamed you would be divorced. Some of you never thought that you'd be looking for a job at this season of your life. Some of you never dreamed that you would still be struggling with the same addiction that you struggled with when you were 18. Some of you never dreamed that you would have children who are struggling with an opioid addiction. And it is ruining their life. Some of you never thought that you would be disconnected from a family person in your family system. It's interesting because there's a couple verses that feel out of place in this whole passage of Luke 19, particularly in the triumphal entry story. It's it's verses 41 and 42. But as Jesus came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that all of the people would understand the way of peace, but now it is too late and peace is hidden from their eyes. That's just an odd couple verses of Scripture in the middle of the triumphal entry of Jesus. You understand, there are thousands of people that are watching Jesus descend into the Kidron Valley and come up on the other side, heading into the gates of Jerusalem. There are thousands of people that are throwing their their robes in front of Jesus. There's palm branches that are being waved. There's all kinds of wonderful things that are going on. The crowd is hyped up. It's not the moment for Jesus to have an emotional breakdown. It's not the moment where Jesus just sobs over Jerusalem, because he has thousands of people watching him, and he comes unglued. Why? Unexpected alligators. Okay, what does that mean? It means that Jerusalem was full of people that had become disillusioned with God. And had turned their back on God and had settled for religion and ritual. But their hearts were far from God. Worship in Jerusalem had become so polluted through the years that they were the ones that were killing God's own prophets. How can it be that God faithfully sent prophets to stir the people up to say, come back to me, to a true sense of a relationship with me, and they were the ones that were doing God's bidding by actually killing the prophets? How warped is that? Jerusalem was full of control freaks that no longer trusted God that just wanted to do life their own way. And Jesus said that God's judgment was coming. And it was really a foreshadowing of A.D. 72. You know what happened in A.D. 72? The Roman government came in and destroyed the temple and leveled most of Jerusalem. Palm Sunday is really about making a decision of whether you're going to live in disillusionment or whether you're going to trust God in the midst of some unexpected alligators. Lots of unexpected things happen to us in our life. Lots of things that we have expectations about how God ought to treat us how God ought to answer certain prayers. And we become disillusioned because we thought God, if he was a good God, would answer this particular prayer. There's nothing wrong with that prayer, but how come God hasn't answered it, at least not yet? How come God allowed this to happen? How come God allowed my child to go through this? How come God allowed me to experience this? And we go on and on and on, and we become disillusioned if we're not careful. You know how God answers that? Trust me. I see the big picture. And what you see at this moment is a sliver of your life. But if you'll trust me and not grow bitter, give me your disillusionment. If you will become soft and pliable again, I can do something because I'm weaving a bigger picture of what your life could be like h hold on to the words of jesus growing christians a sign that you are a believer a genuine authentic follower of jesus is holding on to the words of jesus the story of the triumphal entry ends with verse 47 and 48 after that he taught daily in the temple But the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, and the other leaders of the people began planning on how to kill him. But they could do nothing, listen to this, because all the people hung on every word Jesus said. You know where we go off the rails in our Christian life? When we actually don't hold on to the words of Jesus. Jesus has given many promises, he's given many words to you and to me that we can hold on to, especially when times are difficult, but if we don't know those words, we can't hang on to them. If we don't apply those words to our own heart, they don't do any good to us. You know, if you have an insurance policy, and you know the terms of that insurance policy, when something bad happens, you can rest because you know it'll be covered by your insurance. If you do not know the terms of the insurance policy, then you freak out, right? Because you go, oh my goodness, this large medical bill, is this going to be covered? Am I I going to go medically bankrupt and all those kinds of things? But if you know, then you relax. You know how you can know that you're holding on to the promises of God and you know that you're trusting the Lord? One word, anxiety. The more anxious you are, the less trusting you are. The less anxiety you have, the more trusting you are. So I had a conversation this week, an unexpected conversation with a guy I don't even know. I invited him to Easter service. I'm in a store and we just strike up a conversation. And um, I eventually told him after several minutes of nicety conversation, um, we just said, hey, wait, what do you do? And he told me and... He said, what are you doing? I'm a pastor. And he goes, really? I'm a believer too. I said, great, this is awesome. I said, where do you go to church? And he said, I don't go to church anymore. I said, really, tell me about that. Listen, as God is my witness, this is what he said. He said, I'm tired of going to nice church where I hear a nice message and I listen to nice music and I'm tired of leaving church where the main goal is that people walk out feeling good. Well, I'm starting to get convicted because I want people to walk out feeling good in worship. But here's what he said that really caught me. He said, my life is a mess and I don't need good sermons. I need sermons that challenge me to my core. And I need to hear the hard things, whether I want to hear them or not. So here's what I want to say to you. I'm not trying to talk you in or out of any relationship that you have with the Lord. That's not my purpose, but here's what I do want to say to you. Jesus was serious when he said, not everybody who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. And what I mean is this, that there are many people who are professing Christians that actually don't have an abiding relationship with Jesus because they're really trying to get Jesus to be on their terms. And that's not what this week is about. This week is about you laying down your agenda and becoming submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can experience the power of the resurrection and overcoming of death and the overcoming of sin. A lot of people who are professing Christians really want Jesus in their life to make their life better and happier. They're not interested in the hard teachings. And what I want to say to you as brothers and sisters, as lovingly as I can, That's not how it works. The only way you're ever going to have a growing walk with Jesus, the only way you're ever going to experience true and abiding joy and hope in your life is to fall on your face before God and confess your sins and receive God's grace and walk in obedience and hold on to his promises. And when life throws you unexpected alligators, you say, I do not understand, but I will trust the Lord. You don't have to do all of these things perfectly, zero to five. Many of you may be in a lot of zeros or ones. Some of you may be in the higher range. Okay, all I'm saying is, you've got to be on the way, and you have to be sincere about it. Because God did not allow Jesus to go to the cross so that you could have a nice life. Does that make sense to you? This, my friends, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you stand, please? I don't know what you got out of this message. Maybe some of you, it was just like point number one, follow. And obey the instructions of Jesus maybe some of you you're fine in the first four but you just needed to be reminded that oh I need to hold on to the words of Jesus okay that's fine but here's the invitation I want to give just this next minute before I give a benedictory prayer I want everybody to come next week filled up ready to go ready to worship no priming of the pump I want you to show up next weekend ready to celebrate the living savior and you can't do that if you're not abiding in jesus so i want to give you the opportunity this morning to get the junk out of your life so that you can come next week free and clear bow your heads together would you please if there are things in your life and you know that you're walking in disobedience to the lord i'm just going to pray a prayer and I want you to repeat this prayer after me, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand first. If God has spoken to you and you're like, yep, I, I, I got to pray this prayer, just raise your hand right now. Nobody else is looking around. Yep, several people. Okay, here's the prayer. Just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I want to come in next week to celebrate you with a whole heart. Would you please forgive the areas of my life that are disobedient? I repent of them. And I receive your grace. Maybe you've been discovered that uh, maybe you've discovered that you've been wasting or spending your life but you haven't been investing. And the prayer you really need to pray when you walk away today is I'm going to spend the rest of my life investing in the things in front of me in the name of Jesus Christ and for his glory and benefit, not my own. Some of you are just doing good to hold on to the promises of God. You just keep doing that this week. Lord Jesus, we want to walk away today Feeling good in our hearts, but not good in ourselves, but good in our hearts because we've had an encounter with you. So help us, God, to leave here full of joy because we are in your kingdom and following you. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Go in grace, would you?